Hey listeners, we've got another great episode for you this time on Suits. But as usual, before we begin, I have to thank our daddy's favourite level patrons. That's Southern Suter, Hilary, William, Ochner, Banjo Stewie, Adam F, Brian C, and Harry Hypnotist. Just know, you are daddy's favourite. So, with our daddy's favourites thanked, I hope you enjoy the rest of this episode. Hello listeners, I'm Craig, and welcome again to the Kinky Boys podcast. Today we have Southern Suter with us, aka Tom, and he's here to talk with us about suit fetish. Hello Tom. Hello, how are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you? Brilliant. Good morning. Good afternoon to you, I think. Yes, thank you. Thank you so much for... So for listeners, there is a big time difference. Tom has gotten up rather early to do this. It's not the first time I've suited up on a Saturday morning. Oh, no, there are plenty to do. And might I say you look stunning. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Suited Saturday is totally a thing. And so is normal Friday. So is boardroom Monday. So is Sunday finest. Every day is a good day for a beer. Are there also months? Because I know there's like October and such thing. Are there suit months? There, there have been suit years. Do you know that there's another suit year next year? There was one last year too. This is a suit year. And then the suit year after that, there's so many suit years. Amazing. So, yes. Why don't you tell us a bit about yourself? I'm going to put down the T. Mm-hmm. So my moniker online is Southern Suitor or Suitor Southern, depending on who took it first. On Instagram, someone took Southern Suitor first, and I, I have no enmity whatsoever about this. Only good feelings. Anyway, really, I think of suits as my first and most important fetish because they're the one that I remember most deeply. As in, mm-hmm. I can remember as early as the age of six being fascinated with dress uniforms. It had to be dress uniforms in particular, not like fatigues or something like military uniforms and so forth and suits and ties and this was always through film and television and so forth and so from then on it i always noticed that whenever i there were occasions when i had to put on a shirt and tie for school i would get really turned on by it i would get turned on by seeing all the other guys who would make fun of me get wear their shirts and ties and i also liked the fact that they were very uncomfortable in it and i felt very empowered by it there was some interesting yeah it's it was that whole idea that this this shirt and tie that makes you feel so uncomfortable actually makes me feel very masculine and sexy and powerful for once in my tiny twinkish existence. And, and so, yes, so that was an early, early influence. Then college came along and I went to college in a Southern city where there were a lot of lawyers and bankers sporting Sears mm-hmm. and bow ties and the whole Southern American look. And it just blossomed from there. I think the first time I actually joined Recon was 2004, was shortly after I discovered the suit and tie fetish website known as Minute Play, which is still mm-hmm. around, though much of the suit and tie fetish community has, shall we say, divided opinions about it. I have heard happiness with sight has gone down over time. Yes, and that is because, I mean, I, I can tell you more of a story there. This mm-hmm. is kind of diverging from my story mm-hmm. into the community itself, if that's all right. Yeah, sure. So Minute Play was found. Okay. The suit, the first online presence that I can recall of the suit and tie fetish guys was in Yahoo groups. Mm -hmm. So late 90s, early 2000s. 
And there were a lot of, there was a particular subset, wet and messy, who were into dressing up in suits and ties and just destroying them. And we're going to, my understanding, we will touch on that topic in further detail. But anyway, there were, there was one couple who was particularly prominent in that bubble and they started a group called Minute Play, which was devoted to wet and messy play in suits and ties. And it later evolved into the website. Sometime in the mid 2010s, that couple actually sold, maybe early 2010s, early 2010s, that couple actually sold Men at Play to a different company. And so they're no longer associated with the website that they created. As you could imagine, that company sought a more mainstream appeal and so forth. So the chief complaint among suit and tie fetishists is that what we're really paying for is half of a video because the yeah. suit moth halfway through and it's like, okay, this is now just a generic porn video because it is exceedingly difficult to find anyone who wears suits and ties for anything other than I wear this. And that is a frustration of the community and it is a frustration I have felt as well. Yes, it's a fairly common criticism I hear and I felt it myself with, so I'm a big boot guy, like mm. I love tall boots. And I remember getting, this was back in the days before streaming, a DVD of, it was a Chichula Roo back when she was big in poor production of, it was meant to be around like, like boot black adventure or something. And it had the guy wearing boots for five minutes and then they came off and it was naked fucking for 90 minutes. And it's, yeah. Which means from your perspective, you were paying full price for a DVD that you only watched five minutes of. Exactly. And porn DVDs are not cheap. No, they're not. And you can't get rid of that now. <laughs> just, no. <laughs> that's not something you could just put. I lived with my parents for a long time as an adult. That's not something yeah. you could just put in the kitchen trash. Just Exactly. I will say, among, and this is probably true of just the younger generation of any community, the number of younger queer folks who are living with their parents and having to negotiate that is, I think, something that is worth addressing. Just... Mm-hmm. The degrees to which young folk have to go incognito in their own home out of fear of their parents finding out, even though they might even be adults. And so you've spoken about that before, about the whole keeping work life and kink life separate phenomenon. So, Yes, and I imagine with suits, like work life and kink life can be a little bit more integrated. Yes. I mean, there is this. So I'll back up a few steps. My husband and I have been to leather bars suited before. And everyone's reaction is always, oh, you look nice if you just come from work or a conference. And after a while, we got kind of tired of answering that question. So we started to kind of lean into it and say, well, yes, absolutely. We have no intention of tying one another up later this evening. None. (laughs) And, And so forth. I mean, the tie itself is the most important accessory in the suit and tie outfit, and you could well imagine fetishy possibilities involved with that. So, yes, we I can put this on in a public space, and people will just think that I'm peacocking, but they won't think of it as a fetishy thing. There is, of course, the popular understanding that suits and ties are masculine and sexy. There's the mm-hmm. song, you know, everyone's crazy about a sharp dressed man. And, and so there's that, but it's kind of domestic. It's kind of like a domesticated version of it. Yeah. As in, 
oh, he just looks nice and dolled up and everything, rather than the full leather daddy in Langlitz. And oh, yeah, these often presented as juxtapositions. Yeah, because there, I mean, there are, there's that famous image that always goes around of a guy getting undressed from a suit into a harness. Yes. It, was, it was a Tom of Finland cartoon called, I think, Night and Day, or Day and Night, where it's the two exact same Tom of Finland guys, yes. square jaw and everything. <laughs> and then on the left, he's in a suit and tie, and on the right, he's in the exact same pose, but in a mirror cap and, and all that. Yes, and sort so, of thing. And they're both full body uniforms. They both denote a type of masculinity, but it's very different, especially yes. because suits are often tied with either, well, with most pe- with most people's everyday lives, suits are tied in with work, work and respectability. Yes, as in, um, I mean, so you you mentioned work uh there is the whole casual friday thing mm-hmm. you know the adage is that casual friday killed the suit which yeah. is in fact yeah. accurate there are many many guys in the suit and tie community who are trying their level best to pretend that that's not the case and it's like no dear no one wears suits and ties to work anymore stop deluding yourself you're not fooling anybody just mm-hmm. own the fact that you are wearing this for fun no one is making you wear this though the whole fantasy of an enforced dress code is certainly a big thing but uh, we were, were, were diverging. You were talking about, we were, okay, a few threads ago. We were talking about keeping fetish life, kink life, and work life set. With suits and yes. ties, it is easier to do that. Though in most corporate workplaces, corporate casual is the order of the day. So what I'm finding among the suit and tie fetish community, especially the younger guys who are working in much more mm-hmm. casual workplaces, is, okay, I really want to be, I really wish I lived in the days where this was the corporate uniform and I could wear this every day. There is a real yearning for that, though, again, there's some historical problematics with that, but they seem to be glossing over. So they have to basically create occasions to wear suits and ties. It's as though the suit and tie, in an ironic way, is what they wear when they want to be casual. So there's a weird kind of inversion going on. So in only a handful of workplaces is the suit and tie actually standard anymore. And so for the folks who work in those kinds of workplaces, certainly kink life and, and work life are intermingled. Yeah. Business and pleasure are one and interlaced and beautiful and complete. But for many of the rest of us, it's a Jekyll and Hyde existence. Very much so. And and I know from talking to some suit people like Often office fantasies where it is the office dress code being enforced by a boss, but in a sexy way, is a very common sort of fantasy. 100%. And I mean, we're we're kind of verging into some of these, some of the sub iterations of the suit and tie fetish. There are a lot of guys who really want to be hypnotized and forced Mm -hmm. into that dress code. And I had a feeling that this this particular sub fetish would appeal to you. Oh, yes. No, certainly. So it so because the corporate office already involves a power imbalance, mm-hmm. it lends itself to these kinky fantasies. I mean, basically, we're fantas basically we're fantasizing about sexual harassment in the office space, yeah. but it is the whole consensual, non consensual, wonderful fuzzy area that a lot of this kink lives in, and. Mm-hmm. 
again, it's the mingling of business and pleasure. It's the idea that you have this dichotomy that's supposed to be kept separate and we're going to blend them together into this wonderful, uncomfortable, but only in fun ways kind of. Yeah. And exploiting the power dynamic already represented by that workspace and by the uniform itself. There's also that sense that the boss is going to be more of a peacock in his presentation. He's going to be wearing the more expensive clothing and he's going to lord it over his mere corporate drone who is, whom he has plucked from the office cubicle to, to tie up in his office after hours or something. To that. Yes. And that's another thing that's been killed out is the cubicle. Yes. Yes. All of this has assumed a really different tone after the pandemic, as in a number yeah. of the student fetish guys were genuinely worried that suits were not going to be available anymore. And unfortunately, that is true by and large, as in it is more difficult to have an in-person fitted suiting, you know, tailor. Yeah. By the way, the whole tailor fantasy is a whole other genre. Oh, I can imagine. Yes. Tailors, barbershops, just mm-hmm. all those things, all those things can mm-hmm. get folded into this. But so, for instance, the suit that I'm wearing, my husband and I had to drive an hour and 30 minutes away to the nearest actual menswear shop where we could be fitted really yeah as in that is how unless you're in a place like new york or chicago or Mm -hmm. london or berlin or something like that unless you're in one of those kinds of places where it's a heavily populated urban center Mm -hmm. you're it's going to be very difficult to get come across this stuff However, the other side of it is that I've been able to get a lot of things on eBay because a lot of guys are actually emptying out their office wardrobes. They don't need them anymore. Yeah. Which means, come. <laughs> they go to a good home. They go to a, they go to a good home. Okay. Where they can be this. Fun story. There was, so okay. I think I mentioned this in my notes. I use, I use, I use the term menswear guy to describe cis straight guys who are just into the aesthetic of the suit and tie, but not as a fetish. And unfortunately, we have to kind of negotiate that because there have been way too many run-ins where a suit and tie guy will think, oh, there's this really, really well-dressed, straight-presenting guy. Yeah. Let's, let's flirt with him. And understandably, they get shut down. And I use the term suit and tie guy to mean the fetish. So there was a straight menswear guy who was getting rid of some of his old ties and he posted this on Instagram and I asked him, oh, I'll take one, three and seven. Thank you very much. And so he ships them to me. And of course, I did the natural thing that one does when you get secondhand gear. Mm-hmm. And there were traces of his cologne on the silk. Oh, and I was just nice. like, oh. And uh, secondhand dress shoes. as well. Oh, that's interesting. Second. Like that crosses over a lot with boot guys where there's, again, we get into like these sub fetishes where there are people where stealing boots and taking someone else's boots is very heavily fetishized. Oh, I hadn't thought of dress shoes being the same. Oh, sorry. I thought you would appreciate this. So this is actually not a secondhand shoe. This is a shoe that I got on sale mm-hmm. and I polished it just for this case. you have done a fantastic job thank you no i'm not i do not have your level of training but i try no you know that's a fantastic job i I will i will refrain from doing anything untoward towards (laughs) it but uh, yeah i think certainly 
a lot of that element of shoe fetishism traces over into it because the shoe is often the most expensive part of the student's item. Uh And of course, you can get into foot fetishism and sock fetishism and all of that. And that gets into these interesting juxtapositions of you are fully suited, except for your shoes. If your shoes are removed, then this can be either a sign that you have lost status and you are more submissive. Or it could be a sign that you're the dom who's crossing his socked feet on a on a massive executive desk, beckoning his corporate drone to lick his soles clean. And I'm sure many people listening to this have just got hard. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I know with suits, it tends to be like sheer socks and the ankle suspenders. And... Yes, sheer socks and garters. Um, I would have to... Well, I, I'm wearing sheer socks right now. I'm not entirely sure that I could show those on camera because I'd have to bend myself into a very strange position. Is this an invitation for me to show sheer socks on camera? You can, but please remember, this is mostly going to be an audio show. So oh, well, patrons will see this. But... Patrons will see this. So yes. there you go. Oh, nice. Very nice. Very good. These are actually over the calf. I'm not wearing the sock garters, but the sock garters are an enormous thing. I mean, the sock garter part of it traces over to another sub fetish, which is for vintage clothing and accessories in yeah. particular. And sock garters are curiously one of those things that I see more than other contexts, as in not mm-hmm. it's suits and ties. And I think it's because the it's the elastic band around a guy's calf is something of a bondage reference. It emphasizes the shape of his calf, and it's that idea that this is an undergarment, and you're not supposed to be seeing this in public. Oh. clutching our pearls so uh, but yes sheer socks are one of the chief tells of the suit and tie fetish mm-hmm. guys actually the menswear bros don't wear them yeah now you said that i can see that being a thing yeah. so that is kind of a a calling card the sheer sock well that's interesting i have to keep looking out for that i mean so are there any other sort of signals like we talk about flagging a lot are there any yes. certain ways to flag specific to wearing a suit? Well, number one, wearing a suit is already going to attract oh. the attention of a suit and tie. However, number two, it's the tie knot that does it. Mm-hmm. So sheer socks definitely will catch uh, the attention of that crowd. But uh, the tie knot is the chief thing. I'm actually not wearing the prescribed tie knot to the suit and tie fetish community right now. I'm wearing something different. This is a double four in hand. It is the double Windsor that they prefer. So the double Windsor makes this bad triangular knots it's kind of bloated and and it fills the space of the collar and it's actually most of the standard straight menswear guides actually regard the double windsor knot as poor taste really is bearish and so it's this is getting into that idea of the suit and tie as a kind of in which we're taking elements of this corporate executive attire and we're Mm -hmm. just exaggerating them to the point where it becomes self-parody. And uh, since the tie itself is already a phallic object, then going with the most bloated knot that you can <laughs> imagine lends itself to certain other fantasies. I'm I'm really performing for the patron for the Patreon folks today and and you know I kind of don't apologize for that, but I'm doing a double Windsor as we speak. Yes. I mean that's quite skillful. I I'm one of these people where like my tongue sticks out as I try and do the knot. It's, I'm like concentrating. Does it go under? Does it go over? How many times do you wrap it round? Oh, so you recall Adam, correct? By the way, this is, see the difference of shape. It's wider at the top and more narrow at the bottom. So this is a double Windsor. 
So I'm, I'm going to redo this as a double Windsor now and try and recompose it. But Adam, whom you all spoke with recently about animal archetypes. Yes. He's big into suits. And he actually mm-hmm. made a little bit of a read recently on the leather folk. He commented on the fact. It was, it was an oblique remark, but he commented on the fact that most leather folk will wear ties, but their tie knots are not to par. And his was. Yeah. He, t- he managed to tie a leather knot, a leather tie in a knot that our community would approve. But that's also kind of his thing. Oh, fantastic. Yes, he, his photos where he, because he like very much goes in for what I describe as the city gent, which no, is very much a London thing where you have the pinstripe it's, suit with the big broadsheet, often gloves. Yes. Because like broadsheets also work for him in this setting. But but yeah, and, and it is like you're from, so the American South. Yeah. Are there any sort of like classic suit things regional to there that we wouldn't really get over here in England? Well, okay. I'll preface this by saying that the suit and tie fetish community in the southeastern United States, very thin and far between. As in, I can count on one hand the number of people I know who are within 600 miles Mm -hmm. of me. It is very, very thin. So these, these regionalisms I'm about to describe are not necessarily fetish tells. They're just regional variations of the style. So the whole seersucker suit with the loafers look is actually something that I very much am into because really? I have a thing for feet and uh-huh. wearing loafers sockless brings attention to a guy's feet. It's also controversial and polarizing because guys' feet apparently are not supposed to be sexy and therefore you're supposed to keep that covered up as though we're living in 1860. Yes, it is one of those weird things where like, we make fun of the Victorians for covering ankles, but we're not that different when you think about it. As in the, the queer theorist and kinkster Michel Foucault mm-hmm. and his sister's sexuality, the first chapter is called We Latter-day Victorians. He was writing that in the 80s and he could have written mm-hmm. it less. We, we are so heavily Victorian in our mode of thinking. And unfortunately, that's showing in our politics. But that's, that's a whole other topic that we, we could broach yeah. later if you wish. But anyway, Southern, Southern American regionalisms, the Panama hat, you've seen me wear where mm-hmm. that all times the block stripes and really really bright jewel tones so that seems to be a very preppy ivy league sort of look okay you see that in british wear because it's associated with regimental stripes and with schools and so forth whereas here it's thought of as a more waspy preppy-ish kind of thing so yeah those are just minor variations of the style interesting and and i'd like to get into some of the different play sure. but before we do i think there's a thread I want to pull on, uh, which is you talked about in your early experiences about how other people found it quite restrictive and you found it quite free. And we then again touched on it when you talked about how the uh, sock garters are sort of mild bondage. And there is a very, for a lot of people, a very restricting nature of a suit, both psychologically and physically. Yes. And yes. <laughs> So I think this is kind of getting into my own particular dominant streak, because for me, this feels like an armor of empowerment. As in, mm-hmm. for me, when I put on a suit and tie, I feel as though I can get away with all kinds of terrible things. But it cuts both ways, because it is, after all, just a piece of clothing. So the symbol that we, you know, it it can be both an 
armor of dominance, or yeah. it could be a, a uniform of submission. And I think for many suit and tie guys, the uniform of submission part comes from the dress code fantasy. Mm-hmm. It's the sense that you are, you are forced by the office dress code to put this on and go to work in your comfy little nine to five job and only think corporate thoughts the entire time. Yes, I'm totally tiptoeing into hypnosis here. <laughs> there was an article released six or seven years ago about a phenomenon called enclosed cognition, which is the fancy psychological term for when you put on work clothes, you get into a kind of work mode of mind. And as you can imagine, that is all kinds of fetish potential for kickstarts. Yeah. Again, the whole idea of being hypnotized and being forced the song. Or a dom who is the office boss who's like strictly enforcing the stress code. And if your double Windsor is not up to par, then you will be tied up later this evening and, and yes. left there for the janitor. <laughs> to have you. I, I'm getting all kinds of story ideas right now. Anyway. <laughs> uh, so, but yeah, it's that idea of constriction, both of body, mm-hmm. you know, body, therefore constriction of mind. I think also some of this gets into the more vintage aspects of it. There are some suit and tie guys who love dressing up in, say, a tuxedo and tails mm-hmm. and white gloves and everything. And they want to be your butt. As in, there will be pictures of them with their white glove and they have the towel draped over the elbow. And they are as clean shaven as a J.C. Landecker illustration. Mm-hmm. They look like they stepped out of 1922 or Downton Abbey and they are ready to be your butler. That is their fantasy. And that is 100% a sub thing. I'm very familiar with that. Like I know because I'm a service sub and a lot of service subs are very much into that. Also chauffeur uniforms as well. Most certainly. Are in that same vein. Chauffeur uniforms. I think some other variations of it would be airplane pilot uniforms. Mm -hmm. So this is kind of getting this. This is also why I think a lot of fetish folk can understand suits and ties as fetish gear, because we already fetishize so many other kinds of uniforms. And this is simply another kind of uniform. And many of them draw their sartorial references from the same set. So it's that idea that you put this clothing on and you are in a service mode. You are in a work mode. You are here to fulfill orders. And so that gets into the whole butler thing very much. So. I, I think what we're kind of getting into is the idea that this clothing forms a kind of gateway into subspace. Yes, very much so. Other like bluff, like the bluff uniform is very similar when you look at it in action. Obviously, yes. like like the physical sensations, it's often very tight, very layered and weighty. Yes. Square shoulders, restrictions, boots actually make you feel stand like tall boots do make you stand up straight because of the way your legs bend. Yes. And it has that same sort of effect. It's just the material that's different. There was a wonderful old minute play video <laughs> of this stable boy who's wearing his beautiful little riding blazer and his shirt and tie and everything. And he has his nice little tight trousers and he's wearing equestrian boots. Oh, it they are. Always nice. were the glory days of minute play right there. It's also telling because when you look at the older minute play videos, there's more wet and messy play than there. Mm-hmm. There was a lot more. Yeah. <laughs> getting pissed in a suit is a 100% a thing. That, of course, is getting into costs and everything. But, uh, but yeah, I think getting back to the thread that you were 
pulling on earlier. The suit can be read both ways, both as that kind of domineering sort of thing, which is the way that I tend to feel when I put on a suit, or as the uniform of submission. I think one other sub fetish that I've seen here is blue collar, white collar. Mm-hmm. And interestingly, in these particular scenarios, it is usually the blue collar guy who is the dom or the top. So it's the idea of turning the tables against yeah. white collar executive who would ordinarily be calling the shots. It's the blue collar guy who gets the last word. Yeah. And so in that case, the suit and tie becomes a uniform of submission because it's dandyish and defeat. Unlike so if we think of masculinity as a gradient, blue collar gear almost always registers as quote unquote more masculine than a suit and yeah. tie because it's rough and rugged and it's meant mm-hmm. sturdy physical activity. Whereas a suit and tie is meant for just sitting in a comfy leather chair all day, sp- spinning off emails or, you know, oh no, don't, don't get this fessy little suit of mine dirty. It's, it, it, it's yeah. a custom, yeah, that sort of thing. So there's this kind of fussiness with the suit and tie mm-hmm. that can put the suited gentleman in a kind of subspace. Does that make yeah. sense? Oh, totally. Although I am just thinking, you talked about it, how often it's perceived as a fussiness thing. Yeah. I have noticed the one thing that breaks that is often sort of the very 80s yuppie suit idea, because that was very like the image of like testosterone, Wall Street, testosterone driven, yelling down the phone, yes, demanding things of others. That tends to have a much rawer masculinity associated with it, that sort of well, 80s sure suit sort of vibe i mean my theory right now is that suit and tie play is fundamentally a form of vintage play as in now that suits and ties are no longer the standard uniform of the workplace there's always this sense that we are reenacting something that could have happened in 1993 or in 1985 or in 1975 or something like that so it's that sense that we're that power dynamic, that kind of Gordon Gecko calling the shots kind of thing yeah. that you were describing. And of course, the reenactment verges over to fantasy and parody very easily. So there's some, there are unfortunately quite a few suit and tie guys who are not very critical about the way that they fetishize the past. As in, when was the last time you opened the history book, dear? Because you realize yes. that you could not be a gay man in 1985 the way that you can be a gay man now. And even now, it's not so great. And it was even worse when you were fetishizing the 1930s or the 1920s. Yes, because, I mean, class and suits are kind of tied in together. 100%. Yeah. And so class and suits, also respectability. Hmm. I was thinking about the fact that with the Mattachine Society in the 1960s, when they were doing their protests, they had a suit and tie dress code, as in they wanted to separate themselves from leather folks. They wanted to separate themselves from drag queen. They wanted to be the buttoned up, middle class, white picket fence family, because the way that the Mattachine Society saw it, respectability was the way to move forward. And now we're seeing that tension brought up in the context of pink pride and are you the right kind of gay? And so... That does get into some of the problematic associations with the suit and tie. That's something that I've had to kind of wrestle with as well. Because, you know, black trans lives matter. All yeah. of these things are very important. I, I am I am a leftist politically stuck in the middle of a conservative desert. Mm-hmm. 
And I believe many people in the UK feel that way as well. And so by putting on the suit and tie, I'm putting on this very conservative uniform, this very authoritarian uniform, really, yeah. a capitalist uniform. But at the same time, I'm very critical of those things. And so there's tension there. And there is a history with the suit and tie and a particular kind of restrictive gatekeeping, classist, racist, respectability politics. But I think we're, we're diverging again. Yeah. I mean, it, like you can get into this with a lot of fetishes and kink play. A lot of them play into societal power dynamics, either subverting them or enhancing them. And yes. with that comes the realities of the real world. Right. And so then it becomes a question of engaging with it mindfully, as yeah. in, if you're reenacting this power dynamic, are you doing it as parody or as fantasy? Are you doing it automatically because it's something that you thought was quote unquote natural? And yeah. if so, why do you think that? And what are you really working out through this fantasy? Yeah. And there are some suit and tie guys who are very problematic and they're mm -hmm. very pro prominent in our community who are very uncritical about their dominance. And yes, they almost every single one of them I can think of is on the dom side of things. Yeah, I mean, you always get those in communities. Those are the like, loudest voices in the room. Yeah. I mean, you always get people in the leather community where their uniforms get just a little too close to 1930s Hugo Boss. And ugh. yeah, yeah. So that actually is one of the, you bring up Hugo Boss, you know, Hugo Boss is one of those big name menswear designers. He designed SS uniforms. Exactly. That's a huge problem. I'm also wearing, you know, early, I'm wearing a tie knot called the Double Windsor. It's named for the Duke of Windsor. Guess who the Duke of Windsor actually sympathized with? Uh-huh. And that's a problem too. And when you're getting into figures like a few years ago, it was Richard Spencer, then it was Gavin McGinnis and so forth. There are all these actual neo-Nazis in the United States who are using the suit and tie as a kind of uniform to make themselves look respectable. And that's a big problem too. Yeah. So most people don't interrogate what the suit means and why it's deemed respectable and who made it the signaler of respectability. But that and we doesn't mean we can't play about with it. That is true. We just need to be mindful of it. I mean, mm -hmm. we were talking about Gordon Gecko earlier. He famously mm -hmm. said greed is good. Mm -hmm. And he was very much a figurehead of that kind of neoliberal politics that very much has poisoned mm -hmm. our political landscape today. And so what do we do with that? Many of the suit and tie fetish guys are in workplaces of finance. Yeah. Which means that their livelihood depends on the labor of a number of other people whom they probably have not fully acknowledged yet. Yes, like I'm similar where I work in the tech industry around London, which is heavily tied in with the London financial industry, which, you know, huge, biggest in, one of the biggest in the world. And yeah, it's always interesting how do you engage with that ethically and what sort of jobs are you willing to take? Yeah. But we are diverging. We are diverging again. Yes. And okay. Trying to go back a few threads ago, we were talking, we were trying to get uh, into restriction. Sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. What, what were you saying? I would love to get into the peacocking versus suit destruction. If we can go down that route. Certainly. So the folks who are listening, who are only listening to this, mm -hmm. I am crimping my tie right now and making an arch out of my collar. So peacocking thing so that's another kind of tell of the suit and tie fetish guys versus the standard mm -hmm. menswear guys with the standard menswear guys many of them are going for subdued 
patterns versus no. tone. They will tie their tie knot in a foreign hand, which makes a smaller, more modest knot. They will go, they will be very, very shy about patterns. And they'll even incorporate elements of streetwear with the suit and tie in order to make it look fresh and modern. <laughs> suit and tie fetish guys are super duper not into yeah. any. We love, we have a more is more aesthetic as in bright jewel tones, fabulous paisleys, you know, just over the top. We are pluming ourselves. We are accessorized to the hilt. We are not editing this outfit for anything other than maximal effect. And that's where the suit and tie verges into a bit. When the suit and tie is understood as fetish, it's ver- it verges into camp. Or uh, mm-hmm. Nat, who is a person who does a, another podcast I've been interviewed for, he once described it to me as very ballroom. I can get that. I can get that. And drag I, the sort. Like we always talk about ballroom as the female presenting drag, but a lot of ballroom was what they used like what they used to call the butchies were like suit presentations. There were just as many men presenting masculine, like with the big peacocking suits as well. 100%. I mean, there's a a little scene that I remember from Paris is Burning where they're showing various snippets of that extended ballroom scene. And one of the categories is a dude walking down the runway in this squared off military uniform with a sword. 100% doing a kind of campy parody of those Marines U.S. Marines ads. So it's, and again, suits and, historically speaking, suits and ties actually do come from military uniforms. Charles, we could talk about the British monarch, Charles I, and how he brought Mm -hmm. over the jacket. He really did bring over the suit jacket. The suit jacket has not fundamentally changed in about 400 years. Oh, interesting. I didn't, I You just have to, you just have to kind of squint at the historical paintings and subtract all Mm -hmm. the frills and tiddly bits. Mm -hmm. And it actually is the same silhouette. But anyway, fundamentally speaking, we digress. Where were we? Peacocking. Yes. So one of the calls of the suit and tie, one of the calling cards of suit and tie guys is that kind of over-the-topness, the excesses yeah. of really rich, elaborate, you know, accessories. Really. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it's that idea that I've heard compared to the way in the wild male birds will have the more flashy plumage. Mm-hmm. And so there's that sense of it. You I mean, are drawing attention to yourself. Mm-hmm. You are going to enter this room and be the focus of attention and you love it. Oh, yes. And I can get that. And it's, there are two things this puts me in mind. One is my own personal experiences. I've had a friend who was very into his suits. Mm. And back in the sort of 2010s to 2015, he was a very intense member of the campaign against skinny ties, which I get that's quite popular. There, the other, there, that was pretty much all suit and tie fetish guys. By yeah. The way. Okay. Maybe not all, but I'm willing to bet money that was pretty much all suit and tie fetish guys in that little campaign. I can see that. And the other thing is a Terry Pratchett quote. Like, I mean, there are so many, but he talks about uniforms like it was school uniforms he was referring to but he said there is nothing for bringing out individual flair like a uniform and he had this whole paragraph about like how you do your collar how you like turn up your shirt like people will do everything they can with a uniform to make it as individual and what's the word i'm looking for as individual and presenting 
Yeah. Yeah. It, it's like, that yeah. idea that the uniform itself gives you this set of guidelines and rules, but you can tinker with those mm-hmm. rules within a, so it, it's, it's nonconformity within conformist restraints. And I think I see this with leather folk as well. So there's some suit and tie guys who've complained that leather all looks the same. And my response to that is, have you looked closely? Because it's not. This is something I'm, I'm very new to leather. I only really started into leather about 18 months ago. So that's a very new development for me. But the more I'm looking at it, the more I'm realizing that leather and suits are fundamentally the same fetish, just different materials. And especially with the old guard, the leather uniform is very regimented and there Mm -hmm. is some regulation. And, but there are all these different variations and possibilities and styles and things that you could do within that uniform. And suits and ties are very much the same way. You could go single-breasted, double-breasted, two-piece, three-piece. There are the different styles of trousers. There are the different styles of waistcoats. There's fancy Mm -hmm. linings. There's all kinds of things that you could do with it that make it so that this is actually not something that you, this is not something that your mommy told you to wear. This is taking ownership. And so, yeah, so that, I think that gets into the peacocking of it. And again, the peacocking itself can go either in a dom or sub direction, depending on the context and the narrative that we're building. It could be the dom who's kind of like, primping himself as you know the the this kind of alpha male kind of thing or it could be the sub who is folding over into this kind of defeat territory of oh don't don't mess up my my i i i spent hours on this on this tie just trying to trying to get it just right you can't etc etc yeah and that's a good jumping off point for because one of the subgroups is sort of the ruination of suits so okay I think backing up a few steps, this is kind of getting into the conversation we were having before you started recording. The biggest fetish communities that I see overlapping with the suit and tie community are leather, chastity, Mm -hmm. and bondage. Mm -hmm. I think that those are the biggest ones. Wet and messy is only slightly smaller than those, I believe. So wet and messy slash ruination slash suit destruction slash gunge. I'm kind of rolling those all together with the understanding that, yes, we should... Yeah. We could talk about each of them separately, but they're fundamentally dependent on the same thing. So that's, I think it should be said that that is a particularly expensive mm-hmm. hobby. And if that is something that a listener wants to get into, my chief point of advice is go to a thrift store first. Do not do this to, I, I the suit that I'm wearing right now, I would not do the things that I'm about to describe. This is, I, it's it took me too long to say for this suit. I'm not yeah. doing that. But there are guys who are into piss play in a suit and tie. Mm-hmm. So this is humiliation and degradation. There are guys who are into having the suit and tie ripped from them. So there's that kind of humiliation plus clothed male, nude, nude male sort of dynamic. There were some old men at play videos that in which you would have these well-attired gentlemen at this extravagant feast and they would devolve into a food fight in which they would wow. gunge one another suit. Mm-hmm. That is 100% a thing, you know, pie to the face, smeared down mm-hmm. of a guy's shirt. Suits and water in particular, that's actually something that I find particularly arousing. So I think of, I think of this in terms of water as mud, sweat, rain, 
or full submersion or piss. That's a form of water too. <laughs> oh boy. It's like we're, it's like we're in avatar land all of a sudden. How much water are you willing to get bent for? <laughs> I, I came up with that just now. I'm very, anyway. So yeah, this, it's the idea that you have, I think a lot of that folds into respectability and humiliation. So you have this beautifully dressed man and you're going to just destroy the image that he has created. And that's a humiliating thing. And so there are a lot of guys who just really get off on that. And yes, as you can imagine, it's very expensive. So there are a number of suit and tie fetish guys who will actually have what they call a play suit. What? Oh, uh, interesting. It is not a custom suit. It is mm -hmm. one that I got off the rack for much less money. Because the idea is that you can actually afford to do some naughty things to this suit. And if you treat it just right, you can explain it away at the dry cleaners and you'll be just fine. This is also why I prefer water, because water is easier to explain than other things. Yes, I imagine, like, we talked. you said there are different kinds of water. I Just clear, plain water, I'm sure, is a lot easier to deal with on a suit. Just, like, let it dry or... Yeah. Oh, I forgot my umbrella in the car. Yeah, exactly. But why does this smell like it? That, that's not your concern. And again, it gets into this contrast where like piss, I know people pissing themselves in their suit is a big thing. And it's like, you're taking this symbol of power, authority, finance, and adding in humiliation. Yes. Humiliation, loss of control, mm -hmm. just all of that can make it. I think this is getting into the kind of storytelling potential that clothing represents. Yeah. Suits come with a particular set of stories. And so the wet and messy part of it creates that narrative. And uh, yeah, I mean, for me, one of the biggest things that I find attractive about a suit is putting on a suit and tie and going into an environment where suits and ties have no business. Mm -hmm. And so just that tension that possibility that contrast is something that i find very erotic so it's the idea of being the well the well attired gentleman who happened to stumble onto a grimy leather bar oh no how did i get here oh well i guess i'll order a pint and let the cards fall where they may and so there's this sense that uh, by being well attired and putting yourself in that situation you're giving control and consent to someone else and that gets into how the suit and tie can be a kind of submissive space. With ripping in particular, that would be, you know, the ultimate, there is no bouncing back from this. Yeah. This garment is gone now. Although I have, and again, I'm not well versed, but one thing I have seen quite common is people putting small deliberate cuts in the back of suit trousers and yes. just leaving it there. So it's sort of, people may notice it, they may not, but it's that, yeah. So having trousers ripped open is actually, if you do it right, you can actually take that to a tailor and get it repaired. Mm -hmm. Again, this comes with a price tag. This is not mm -hmm. something that you can do all the time. But pardon me, we're getting a lot of glare here. There we go. I think that's a bit better. Okay, that's yes. Better. So it's the idea then that uh, I've heard some people call it the gentleman's entrance. Yes, very appropriate. So you, you take your suit trousers, you take a little seam ripper or a fine little pair of scissors mm -hmm. and just cut a few strategic seams so that you're, if you happen to be in a position where that could happen and you just might need your bottom to be exposed, 
then the DOM or the top can easily wrench it right open. And actually, suit trousers split on a fairly regular basis anyway, because that area between the legs is a part of the fabric that gets a lot of tension. Mm -hmm. And so that's actually a form of play that can be easily explained. And there's also the fantasy of, oh, well, now you have to sit down at the rest of your nine to five office job with your trousers split right wide open and you're just going to have to deal with Exactly. I think one thing that I would like to see more of in the community is the the narrative of what happens after the encounter when you have mm -hmm. to go back to your little respectable cubicle job with your suit bearing the marks of what you've been up to. Again, humiliation and that beautiful tension between the two. I have heard of a handful of gentlemen who will actually have a zipper tailored into the back of their suit trousers. Oh, very nice. The gentleman's entrance. Mm -hmm. So that is 100% a thing. Yes. The trousers are most often the part that gets the, the brunt of the, the play. Which is understandable. Yes. And this gets into little variations of, you know, there's some guys who absolutely love it when you are fully done up on top, but you've had your trousers stripped from you. Mm -hmm. And so your your legs and your socks and your shoes and your garters and your underwear are all like on full display. So it's that juxtaposition of, you know, top top half is perfectly business appropriate, but not the bottom. Yeah. And that, again, it yeah. goes back to juxtaposition and tension, yes. which, which makes me think of another sort of fetish suits often tied into is naked male clothed male yes which, yes yeah like my master is fan very much into that but often in like any sort of videos or drawings or art or illustration the clothed males are almost always wearing suits yes and i think that's supposed to encode power dynamic because mm -hmm. we understand the suit as quote the high point of yeah. being best and so how do you create that maximum juxtaposition? Mm -hmm. So it's not just, I mean, I think the trope that you're getting in there is the idea that somehow seeing the fully suited man with the naked man yeah. creates an even more erotic charge because mm -hmm. of that even greater polarized juxtaposition. And I'm not as much into the clothed male, nude male side of things i tend to prefer actually when both people are in various stages of undress along the way to use a D, &D metaphor it's like yeah. the outfit is taking hp damage throughout the, <laughs> i the love that but what you're but what you're referring to is a different dynamic and mm -hmm. i'd be curious to see whether it's all whether the suited guy in that dynamic is always the dom oh interesting because i can see it cutting both ways mm -hmm. Because it could be the idea that the suited guy is, I mean, again, the dom. Or it could be the idea that the suited guy is this well-dressed ornament put on display for the delectation of the guy who does not need clothing to assert his dominance. His ah. dominance is such that he does not need these outward symbols of it, and he already has it. What do you think? I have never seen that before, but that sounds amazing. I think you've just invented a new scene. Oh. Well, tell your master all about it. <laughs> I mean, again, for understandable cultural reasons, we would think of suit and tie equals dominant in that particular. Yeah. But I think there are ways to invert any of those conventional power dynamics. Mm -hmm. Inverse. Oh, yeah. 
like a common inversion is it's often, again, suits pair well with so many things, barbershop fantasies. Yes. The barber so is normally a service worker, and in most of the fantasies, they are the ones taking control. They are telling you what you will look like, your hair. And again, pairing like the very button-down comb-over or traditional hairstyles, clean-shaven, with a suit. Yes, and the barber the barber himself will often be attired in, <laughs> if we want to go full-on fantasy material here, the barber himself will often be attired in a shirt and tie and a waistcoat with little <laughs> sleeve garters with his sleeves rolled up, perhaps because he's in a serviceman. And he has his old more mustache and his yes. little coat. And all of that, and yes, and the barbershop motif, then the suited gent who is coming in to have himself shaved or quaffed places himself in a submissive position. And again, there are several minute play videos to that effect, and they're actually quite lovely because in those ones, the suits do tend to stay on a little longer. I also think with barbershop in particular, I remember that there was, uh, y'all had a whole episode about this. Yes. One of the things that draws me to barbershops is not only the power dynamic possibilities, mm -hmm. but also just the aesthetic or sensual experience of it. As in barbershops present themselves as this kind of Victorian early 20th century luxury experience. Yes. The lathering up of the shaving cream, the badger mm -hmm. brushes, all of those fragrant, lovely things. Mm -hmm. There's some barbershops that will offer you a beer or a bourbon while you, while you relax and so forth. So they're putting on these airs of a gentlemanly old tiny space of masculine bonded mm -hmm. and or masculine bonded. <laughs> because I imagine that a barber chair is very easy to type. Oh, well, yes. I, it's part of the reason why I want one in my home. But don't you also want a shoeshine chair? This is the thing. They fantastically double as both. Traditionally, shoe shines or boot blacks used to work out of barbershops. That makes 100% sense. Yep. Yes. See, now you have me thinking, okay, airports are one of the very few places where mm -hmm. I see guys wearing suits and ties in anything remotely mm -hmm. resembling a regular capacity anymore. And airports are also places where you see shoe shine stands. Yes, yes, that's very true. And I hadn't thought of it, but obviously you have the large traffic of people flying for business and Indeed. yeah. So yes, airports, weddings, mm -hmm. these are, these are rare little instances mm -hmm. where a large number of gentlemen are expected to dress up. And so for those of us who don't live in the cosmopolitan areas where people suit up all, these are very rare occasions mm -hmm. for us to gravitate towards. Uh, for me in particular, one thing that I enjoy is the look of a whole bunch of seeming innocent straight guys who have dressed themselves up for a wedding. And then at the reception, the ties come loose and the shirts come unbuttoned. It's as though dressing up for the wedding has given them permission for this kind of highly public strip tease. Oh, that's an interesting way to innocent Guys who are dancing their asses off on the floor, never mind the fact that their shirt is hanging four buttons open and they're jetting <laughs> And I'm so I, I think that. A number of the suit and tie guy. most of the suit and tie guys prefer for the outfit to remain full mm -hmm. at full HP bar the entire time. Yeah. So really done up because they view the loosening of the outfit as a sign of submission. And I can get that. I can get that, though. I also think I also enjoy that image of like all the old detective films where the guy who is doing the interrogation, the guy who's tying up the hapless mm -hmm. suited 
active, loosens his tie and rolls his sleeves as though he's up to some naughty hard work and so forth. And that too can be a kind of emblem of dominance. It's the idea that he doesn't have to be fully dressed in order to assert his power in this scene. And you're the helpless yes. damsel in distress. <laughs> so anyway, yes. all these narrative potentials that, uh, that go into it. I am conscious we are coming up to the hour mark, and that's generally yes. where I like to leave it. Like, I'll edit this little speech out. Is there anything you want to get in, like, we haven't covered before we start winding it down? Uh, we've covered a number of the sub-fetishes. Okay. I think we've touched on hypnosis day and bullet time. Uh-huh. This is probably a part that you're going to need to cut out because I'm kind of, like, running through all the possibilities. Oh, yeah, yeah. This will be gone in editing. Don't worry. And you have a thing that you're going to be doing at four your time. So yeah. I need to be mindful of that. I want to cover kind of the visibility, invisibility of the fetish. Namely that, yes, Recon has a tab for suits. Mm-hmm. And there are many guys who will designate suits as one of many interests of theirs, but suits are never the chief interest. So I think despite the fact that suits and leather overlap a great deal, what I'm curious about is the degree to which leather is a larger and more broadly represented fetish community, and suits and ties are always very niche, and they're always kind of subordinated to that bigger community. In other words, the number of guys for whom suits are 100% the main thing is very, very small. I'm talking like maybe a thousand of us in these various online yeah. spaces. The same, the same several hundred accounts show up from one platform to another and and so forth. So it's a very small, widely spread online scene. As in the largest pockets of suit and tie fetish guys I can think of would be five or six guys in New York and maybe a dozen guys in Berlin and maybe a dozen guys in London. And that's just about it. The rest of us are few and far between. And so for most other folks, leather is perhaps a bigger representation of their fetish selves mm-hmm. and suits are subordinated to that. What, what are your thoughts about all that? I can see that. I also think it's more common than you might think, even though it's not the primary fetish. Like okay. I know, especially with niche fetishes, you tend to have to form your own small community. Yes. Right? With hypnosis, there are like one, two sites people can go to, to really engage mm-hmm. with most of the community. And it's sort of, you find and build your own little alcove away from the big mass of, like, general fetish, which tends to be dominated by leather and rubber. And and none of this is to say that leather and rubber are a bad thing. Absolutely not. I, I think that those are wonderful communities. And one of the things I find attractive about the leather community is the actual sense of community that's within the leather community. Mm-hmm. I don't get that with the suit and tie guys. We're all just kind of hobbyists on different sides yeah. of the globe and not, none of us really connects with the others. So, so, you know, I, I don't mean any of this to be disparaging of these broader, bigger fetish communities. I just think that it feels as though if you put on leather gear and you go into a fetish space, you do not have to explain yourself. You are yes. understood and belong. If I go into a leather bar wearing a suit and tie, I have to explain myself. And I've had to kind of cultivate the a number of strategies for making it clear that this is actually fetish gear. You just don't think so. Or I will wear, you know, a part of a suit and pair my leather jacket with it just as a kind of signifier of, by the way, I'm trying to respect this space, but this is my main thing, even though this looks like work gear. 
And why is it that guys can wear construction gear and be understood as fetish gear, but wearing a suit and tie, you're assumed to have come from a wedding? Yeah, and and in a way, it's like the effort and time you put into a suit, I, I would, like, logically in my head, that would more validate than being in a fetish space. Because it's something you have to be very deliberate about in a way. And you were putting on many of the very same accessories as leather folk, just in a different material. The number of, you know, leather folk wear leather shirts and leather ties. Yeah. And braces slash suspenders. <laughs> I call them braces because I know that that's the proper UK usage. But yes. anyway, so, so anyway, I think then getting back to the point that you were bringing up, Craig, suits are widely understood to be sexy and even potentially fetishy or, well, okay. Suits are widely understood to be sexy, but they're not widely understood to be fetish gear. Does that, does that yes. clear? Yes, it does. Um, yeah. And so when they're understood as fetish gear, I think the bigger, the bigger possibility is that all clothing can be a form of fetish gear. Mm-hmm. And we already have fetish communities devoted to things like gym and sportswear, jock straps, yeah. construction workers, you know, rubber boots and so forth. Just there are so many different other, for back, lack of a better term, there's so many different other forms of uniform fetishism just for other lines mm-hmm. of work. And so I think a lot of this has to do with the fact that suits and ties are assumed to be special occasion only. Yes, I can get that. Yes. So, but leather too is special occasion only now. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've had but some very is- special occasions in leather. <laughs> <laughs> so I think kind of wrapping this up, I'm, I'm curious about the whole gear 365 thing. That's, I believe it started in 2018. It was by a fellow in the leather community who resolved for mental health reasons to actually put on a piece of leather gear every single day, regardless of what he was doing. And this is something that y'all touched a bit on in the whole kink and work episode. How is it that you can live out your gear self? Yeah. In non-fetish spaces. Hmm. And with suits and ties, it's... I'm not sure whether it is easier or harder. I'm not going to make that judgment call because I think that depends so much on context. It feels as though suits and ties are more invisible as fetish gear. As in, if I go out the door wearing one of my more modest, you know, casual ties, people just assume that I'm slightly dressed up. And they won't realize that, you know, there are a number of us who really enjoy having a cloth constricting around our neck. That, too, is another sub-fetish. Yeah. <laughs> potential strangulation territory, if you want to go like Anyway. So, so, yeah. I mean, it's kind for all of its yeah. high visibility of being the most well-dressed person in the room, it feels invisible in a way because everyone's paying attention to you, but not for the reason that you're thinking. Yes, it's sort of the context will only work for other fetishists. Exactly. Yes. Well, I mean, this has been a wonderful exploration. I like you have an amazing mind around this. You really <laughs> you. do. I, I really have been thinking about this my entire adult life. Mm-hmm. And leather is something of a more recent development. And I think of it chiefly through the lens of suits and ties, because in my mind, they are, in fact, the same fetish. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I think we've learned, like, there is so much crossover with other stuff. Absolutely. 
Yes. Leather is that kind of all-encompassing fetish material. And I think that that's something very beautiful and I really want to get more into it. So, yeah. Brilliant. Thank you for coming on. If people wish to seek you out, ask you more things, where do they find you online? So I recently joined Mastodon oh. at Southern Suter. I'm on Instagram at Suter Suter. Oh. Now we're getting into that whole thing. Yeah. Who took the name first? I took it first on Mastodon. And I'm very oh. proud of that. And I have a website called Do You Wear Low Shoes at wixsite.com. Oh, I'll That's put that in the show long. notes. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the link mm -hmm. to it because unfortunately I don't own the donate domain. Yeah. So I get the long clunky version, mm -hmm. but that's where I tend to post my blog and my fetish stories. I do keep that all behind a paywall though. So you'll have mm -hmm. to contact with some payment information. It's only $10. Most people are yeah. only more than that, but I needed to protect my material as a way of protecting myself. Yes, of course. Work life and kink life separate. But anyway, Mastodon Instagram. Fantastic. I shall put all three in the show notes. Thank you very much for coming on. This has been amazing. I'm so glad to, that you had me. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. And uh, thank you very much for dressing up for me as well. Oh, of course. You know, I like to dress for the occasion. And... We approve very much so. Yes. Thank you. And as always, listeners, play safe.